Hi, this is Michael Lask, and I'm the author of The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. I'm a professional actor and a teacher and coach of actors in Los Angeles, and you're listening to me on Genretainment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie, Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, books, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, this is episode 113, and we are chatting with acting teacher, filmmaker, and author D.W. Brown. Brown has trained actors, writers, and directors for the past 20 years at the Joanne Barron D.W. Brown Studio in L.A., working with such talents as Robin Wright, Leslie Mann, Olivia Wilde. We talked to him about his newest book, You Can Act on Camera, insider tips for delivering a great performance every time. We also compared different acting methods, discussed being vulnerable for acting, being fully in the moment, the concept of ego depletion, how the concept of halt applies to acting, what leaves room for the scissors mean, and much more. <laughs> but before we get started with the interview, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song, from our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our interview with D.W. Brown. Well, hi, D.W. Welcome to the program. Glad to be here. So we're happy to have you on the show. You know, we have you on because of uh, your many years of experience in acting and also coaching actors. And also some of the books you've written, including the newest book, You Can Act on Camera, Insider Tips for Delivering a Great Performance Every Time. Before we get too much into that book, can we talk a little bit more about how you got started with acting and, and coaching acting? Sure. I, um, you know, came to L.A. for my fame and fortune, like a lot of people do. And then I got involved in a theater group. I was working with Lee Strasberg uh, at the Actors Studio, and some of those people wanted to get into a theater group, so they asked me if I would do a scene with them. Uh, that we'd all been doing as a project I did. And so I got into this theater group. The theater group had a uh, lab for directing and writing. And I uh, started doing that kind of thing. And I have been uh, writing and directing. I wrote a, uh, and directed a short film uh, just recently that I wrapped. Uh, I did a film that I wrote and directed, a feature-length film called On the Inside with Olivia Wilde that we shot in Pittsburgh. And so uh, I don't just teach acting. I'm actually trying to be out there in the world as well and have some practical knowledge to bring back to the classroom. So that's pretty much how I got involved in it. I uh, then continued studying to teach acting with my wife, Joanne Barron, who is, uh, no joke, considered probably one of the best acting teachers in the last hundred years. Uh, Our studio, Barron Brown, is in uh, Santa Monica, California. And uh, I became a convert to the Sanford Meisner system from that methody type of stuff with Strasbourg, I became much more of a believer in the Sanford Meisner system. And that's the, that's the technique that we teach uh, in Santa Monica. And that's the technique that is shot through the books that I write, which is um, all about acting off of the other person rather than mm-hmm. generating a performance all on your own uh, is that you try to invest in a reality outside yourself and then play moments with that person and then just trust whatever comes out of you is going to be good stuff. So I give my performance over to somebody else and I just react to what they're doing mm-hmm. in uh, the moments. Yeah, I have to say I was looking into 
years ago, the different schools of, of acting, the schools of thought and the schools of teaching and the styles that people have. And I, I really was interested in the, in the Meisner. I, I was interested. I liked um, Adler's. I was interested in learning about her, right. uh, Stella Adler's. And then uh, I, I had seen if the schools of the Meisner schools out there in LA. And I just thought that that seemed like the one that, you know, <laughs> if I, if I was going to take a school and study, that was going to be the one I was going to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and Adler's very consistent with uh, Sanford Meisner. Mm-hmm. She uh, was known to have said, Sandy will teach you how to build a house and I can teach you to decorate it. <laughs> so you get your foundation uh, with the Meisner technique and I, I think really everybody who's involved in show business probably ought to have some understanding of acting and maybe mm-hmm. even specifically this technique. All the uh, above-the-line people, producers, or even, even the decorators, I think, you know. Um, I have taught uh, set decorators, and they'll say, yeah, I need to know, uh, some, I have a, need to have a feel about uh, this character. It really is the whole beginning of the training is developing your emotional intelligence. We walk around in this life all about our, uh, you know, can you name it and compartmentalize it and uh, operate as a, you know, a mathematical, uh, linguistic functioning member of our left brain society. But art is really all about that right brain, the the emotive self, and it doesn't pin things down. It's always uh, new. And uh, there is no final place. I'll say, you know, uh, I can't remember the poet who said there is no work of art that is finished only abandoned mm-hmm. at interesting places and you wouldn't say that to your accountant hopefully <laughs> well, um, and, and it's, it's almost like exercising your empathy muscles I guess yes very much so I have a basic I finally distilled all my teaching down to one expression uh, you ready for it here it comes Please, yeah mm-hmm. be a tuned in vulnerable egomaniac with massive empathy <laughs> <laughs> no problem sounds easy <laughs> So you need to be tuned in. You need to be, you know, have an awareness of uh, your zeitgeist. So, you know, at times, at times you see actors and they may not be really especially high IQs, but they seem to be savvy. You know, they seem to be smart and have like, a, a, again, a good emotional intelligence. They know mm-hmm. if somebody just uh, a relationship didn't work out, even if they've only known uh, the person for a week, that, that could be a big deal where somebody else will go, well, it's only been a week. How, how emotionally invested could you be? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, and, and all kinds of stuff like that, that you know what's uh, good behavior and bad behavior. So if you're an actor, you may be playing somebody who's the villain, but it's usually much more interesting if the villain knows, has a sense for, I know this is considered wicked what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not disconnected from that fact. So you want to be tuned in. You got to be vulnerable. This is the huge thing. When you see an actor, you might immediately, you know, respond to them because they feel they have that childlike quality about them, that they are affected, that things really play upon them. And then I say you need to be an egomaniac because you have to be, you know, okay with yourself and put in letting it hang out there and not feeling like you got to justify yourself constantly for why you're doing what you're doing. And then the last thing is what you said, empathy. If we're going to respond to somebody, they uh, probably ought to have empathy. Like I'm saying, even if you're playing a villain, you might play it with, with, that it hurts you to hurt this other person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, if I dig a piece of glass out of my hand, it's going to hurt me, but I feel I'm doing it for a greater good. Mm-hmm. You might even be playing it as a sadist who enjoys, or maybe even a, put it this way, a sadist masochist mm-hmm. who 
in, in hurting another person feels the pain of hurting that person, but actually takes a kind of joy in it the way you take a joy from a shot of whiskey that burns, you know, or, um, or punishing yourself. You, there's a, there's a perverse enjoyment in that. So I tend to uh, say you want to have all these things operational if you're going to be an interesting actor. And I've always, I'm struck by just how, how courageous you have to be to be that vulnerable, you know, to just the world. Yeah. Typically, you know, you showed up first group of kids in the neighborhood, and if you showed vulnerability, it was like putting water, uh, blood in the water with sharks. You know? Right. I mean, uh, you, you just, yeah, that's you're the first one to get eaten. <laughs> yeah, that's they, uh, they will make it their business to just take you apart, and so you have to build, put up that defense in, like I don't care and whatever, and not be uh, showing that you're being affected by things. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting to me is when you see somebody who's very powerful, you see a surgeon or an airline pilot. It can be uh, stunning how available and free they are at showing that their vulnerability because they don't feel they have to protect anything. Mm-hmm. They're so sure of themselves. So there's this paradox that in we see a, uh, someone on screen uh, or stage showing themselves to be vulnerable. We read it as strength because it actually is this trade-off. Mm-hmm. Um, you must dare or dwindle, they say, in nature, and you can only uh, be as effective as you are open there's this wonderful TED talk with this woman, Brene Brown, called The Power of Vulnerability. Mm-hmm. She's saying, you know, to really live a full life, you have to live it wholeheartedly and risk taking some, you know, shots that you are going to get banged up. But um, it's, it, it, like I say, it's a trade-off. You're only going to get uh, what you're willing to put out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is kind of odd. It's, there's, it's sort of a paradox because we love our entertainment and our actors and our movies and our TV shows. And it takes that, but in real life, just in general, anyone who gets affected by things, they're always told, Oh, you're too sensitive. You're overly sensitive. You're too sensitive. And uh, it's kind of odd because it's like those very things that we kind of ridicule people for in day to day life is what makes someone a great performance artist. Yeah, it's so wild how we have that. You know, like I think it's like typified also with uh, James Dean. Mm-hmm. You know, with it, we make him out to be an icon of cool. But if you ever see James Dean in a movie, he's like the most uncool person going. <laughs> he's just this like raw nerve. You mm-hmm. know, you feel like you're putting a blanket on the guy and getting him some soup or something like because uh, yeah. he's just so exposed. <laughs> but yet you see the poster of him, you know, with his leather jacket, smoking a cigarette, and he's so cool. Because I think we really do know underneath. That, that really is what this life is supposed to be about. Well, and I think people being, wish they could be more like that in a way. Yeah. So we're always putting up our own walls, but then we think of him as cool because we think, man, I wish I could have been like, you know, I wish I could feel as strongly as him or as passionately and just be, you know, yeah. and, and that, you know, yep. we kind of, we diss people for doing it, but at the same time, we kind of wish that we could. <laughs> at the risk of going on a tangent with you guys, I, I has developed this idea that, we're really in our uh, artists oftentimes trying to get back to a more primitive time, the way we used to live as homo sapiens. I think that maybe in the same way people talk about the paleolithic diet and how processed sugar is not good for our systems because our systems have had a chance to uh, evolve to get used to processed foods, Mm -hmm. that we aren't necessarily psychically ready for the big cities and being crammed together with all these people and all these strangers. I have to agree with that. And it requires that we cut off certain parts of our uh, nature 
that you maybe didn't have to. I've actually been in New Guinea, places where people had never seen white people before or living really, really primitive. I, and I say that we're primitive without saying that with any judgment. It's not a judgmental, I think maybe, yeah, it's just a, yeah, in terms uh, the, of technological uh, primitive, just exactly. basics in life, and, yeah. And the men there are they're free to cry. These guys that they're just like beautiful. They're ripped. They're the most masculine guys you'd ever seen because uh, they're all like this warrior type. But they are completely open with their emotions, and they'll just weep as openly as women will. And um, wow. and they, again, they just kind of like hang it out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that's what my training program, in, in large part, is to get people back to that. I guess in the same way, you know, Picasso said it took him 60 years to learn how to paint like a child. You know, to, to 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 get back to that place where life was so vivid and you felt things so deeply. And that's so, so when we see somebody uh, behaving that way, we respond to them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an old uh, there's an old vaudeville expression. Don't act with animals or children mm-hmm. uh, because they're going to they're going to steal the spotlight every time because <laughs> uh, uh, they are so so maybe unprotected and uh, they haven't learned how to dissociate quite so well. And they're really in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so what we try to do is train actors. And it doesn't come easy. And you can talk about it and want to do it. But uh, since you've been so ashamed for being in the moment in life, it's very challenging. So you have to go you know, through a practice to get back to being able to be fully in the moment. And that means you can't control the picture. You can't control what you're looking like. you know. Mm-hmm. And that's so scary. But there's a reason why so many uh, children can be uh, great actors. I mean... My gosh, I just saw the animated, uh, not the animated, the shorts uh, for that are up for the Academy Awards. And there's a German short with this little girl is just phenomenal. But I mean, you, I can just rattle them off, the, you know, that mm-hmm. little boy in Sixth Sense. And, mm-hmm. and uh, just over and over, these, these kids turn in these amazing performances. And it's just because they are more available, I think. You know, they can play pretend and, and uh, let the truth play on them. Yeah, and they don't have that self-consciousness quite yet. Yeah, they can't maybe construct um, more sophisticated performances mm-hmm. like uh, Christian Bale's, you know, doing this amazing character work in uh, in The Big Short and uh, Eddie Redmayne. You know, so I don't think kids can do create characters that way. But they're honest. Uh, that's right. But the most basic thing, uh, the first step is, can you really be present? And that's what a camera will read. A camera will read whether the person's really there or not. Stella Adler, we were just talking about her, said, are you really doing what you say you're doing or are you just pretending? (laughs) And so it's about that, you know, authenticity. Can you really be present and there in the moment? And that camera's going to see. It's going to, you know, see if you're hiding. Mm -hmm. It's going to see whatever that trick is you're trying to do because that camera can be like an MRI just going right to right through you. Mm -hmm. Now, in the book, one of the sections is uh, 32 Principles of Acting on Camera. Um, mm-hmm. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about one or two of those? Sure. Um, the, the Many of them are what I've just been talking about, is uh, being willing to surrender and let yourself be seen. Mm-hmm. To get yourself out of the way is one of the principles. You know, get out of the way and just be there and trust that it's going to be okay. I mean, that's really the basic principle in internal acting, which was started by Stanislavski, is not so much I'm going to control what I'm showing the audience, but I'm going to really endeavor to live truthfully under these imaginary circumstances and trust that what the audience sees and picks up from me uh, will be okay. And uh, so much of what goes on is actually uh, the audience transferring onto the blank actor 
their own experience, their their uh, ideas and and hopes and the, uh, their life experience. And if you just give them this open thing to project their truth on, you can be much more effective. But I mean, just back to brass tacks, the number one principle I put up for, up front is get your lines down cold. <laughs> so uh, you can't really be present if you're trying to think about what your lines are. Right. So you need to just drill those lines so hard that in the madness of a movie set, and you'll think you have them, you'll think you got your lines down beautifully, mm-hmm. but then you go and uh, all the craziness, and you didn't know that they were going to have you walking and then turning, uh, you know, into a doorway or whatever. And hitting all and your all marks. <laughs> yeah. And, and, all, and then the intensity of, uh, you know, the pressure, we got to get this now, mm-hmm. and all this, and those lines will go right out of your head. And uh, so that's the number one thing, get those lines down cold. The lines are artificial. You know, that's why oftentimes actors can be much more effective if they're allowed to ad lib uh, and just improvise the scene. Uh, And I've been involved in movies where we did that. Uh, They tend to be naturalistic. You know, you can't do stylized movies. But uh, we've done a few movies where going into a scene, an actor really didn't know whether the actor playing opposite was going to go yes or no. So that's really great. But But a craftsperson has to be able to recreate that with a script. So you're doing Eric Sorkin. He's not gonna. He's not going to have you ad lib that dialogue. Well, it has you to can't ad lib Shakespeare, you know. <laughs> exactly. And so T.S. Eliot said, be conscious where you should be conscious, so you can be unconscious where you should be unconscious. So you should be consciously memorizing those lines, so when it's time to act, that becomes unconscious, and you can put your attention on what it ought to be on, which is uh, what the other actor is doing in the scene, the other character is doing in the scene, and how uh, that's getting you closer or further away from your objective. Now, I'm I'm curious of the differences, if there are any, of these acting approaches, acting styles, broken down by, I guess, like nationalities. I mean, it, do American actors and British actors and Australia, or do you approach it pretty much the same? Do you notice a real, is there a big difference culturally in how they approach? Uh, yeah, it's, it, there is. The tradition is uh, uh, strong in England for the theater. And in the theater, it's very important that you be clear to the back of a huge theater. So uh, maybe they um, are prone to being uh, external. So they'll teach, and most of the universities in the United States, same thing. Because if they're teaching actors to be in the theater, the most important thing is that an actor be clear. Mm -hmm. It isn't that they're really going through the experience. That becomes emphasized when, uh, and all that subtlety, when you're in a close-up. Mm-hmm. And in a movie, I can direct your attention. I can cut from this guy's face to you biting your lip. And now we know that you're worried that he's getting mad at you or he's about to fire you. Mm-hmm. But on stage, we won't read that. We won't know what's going on unless he's clearly projecting at you something ominous. And you're clearly responding to that focal point on stage as the source of your concern. Uh, whereas if I can do it in editing and make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a film. So the emphasis in, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, before I get ahead of this, all good acting really is the same because all roads come together. But there may be an emphasis on the external demonstrating of behavior in uh, some schools. And that would be more, again, uh, academic settings and, and um, Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the internal school which what I've been talking about is the most important thing is really living through the performance, mm-hmm. really seeking to be in the moment 
and engaged with uh, the emotional truth of the scene. But I would insist that an actor be heard if they're in the theater. Mm -hmm. I would insist that they absolutely carry themselves appropriate to either a coal miner or a king. So you have to meet all those obligations. When we see all these great uh, actors, you know, in the United States, it's because they're the one on, on our in our film, like uh, Fastbinder and all these uh, and uh, Christian Bale and all these guys. Mm -hmm. It's because they had a background in voice and being clear, but then they've adopted this American or we think of this American style of acting. It really comes out of Russia, but since we are the mecca of show business, it's it's uh, considered the American style of acting. So then they adopt this more uh, emotionally truthful sensibility, and then they put that together and they're just great. Because mm -hmm. so uh, an American actor is going to probably have the emphasis on their emotional truth, but maybe they're not able to do those characters because they don't have that articulation. Yeah, I was just wondering um, how difficult it was to cross over, you know, one one side of the pond to the other, How what challenges they face. So, yeah. Yeah. They have accents. <laughs> <laughs> Often yeah. can do, actually, I've noticed a lot of them can do better accents. Yeah, they're very good at, at doing English accents or American accents. American, yeah. Of course, these guys also, you know, I like to point out they have a huge leg up on us uh, for doing the American accent because they listened to our TV shows when yeah. they were little tiny kids. Yeah. <laughs> you probably weren't watching Masterpiece Theater when you were three, you know. Yeah, very true. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I was three, I think they were still trying to keep me from saying wrestling instead of wrestling and, <laughs> and, and wash instead of wash. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I read a lot of books about time management and about especially time management tricks for writing. I've heard more and more of this concept about willpower being this finite resource every day. I can and, attest to that. And how I broke my uh I sprained my willpower muscle years <laughs> ago. And how kind of controlling how you use it can, you know, help you through the day and such and so I was really fascinated to see you uh in your section on the day, you talk a lot more than just this, but you talk about willpower and about the concept of ego depletion. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a fascinating topic that we still don't fully understand. There's so much about uh, brain mechanism that we still don't really understand, and that's one of them. They're going to have to change the name uh, ego depletion because it sounds funny the way we use the term ego yeah. uh, is different. It's being used as uh, like the ego from the Freudian system controlling the id. So you have to control your id in order to uh, concentrate. So I can't now, allow I myself to be distracted. Confused. Can you explain the ego and the id for everybody? So the id is your child self, if you will, the raw gratification. I want to eat all the white sugar. I want to do uh, only, you know, that thing that is fun and pleasurable to me. I'm super id. <laughs> okay. So... It's this wild thing. If they put a, a bowl of chocolate chip cookies next to a test subject and go, oh, these cookies aren't for you, so you can't eat the cookies, people will quit doing the puzzles sooner than if there was no cookies there because they're exerting this willpower not to eat the cookies. Uh, so yep. that, that power is just like a, um, a muscle strength. So you can exhaust it and uh, need to replenish it. And there's also a really weird, uh, what people who, who raise children know is that you try to make a game out of things because if you think of something as fun, your concentration will be much greater. So a guy will spend hours on a video game, concentrating on the video game, but you have him try to do his taxes and he's exhausted in half an hour <laughs> uh, because he thinks of, he thinks of one as fun and the other one as drudgery. So, it, so if you can just like change the mindset 
you can increase your, this resource in yourself. And it's possible to do that is just to reframe this task that you have to do as this adventure. And so I try to get people on a set to do that. You know, they're going to say, oh, that take was blown or, oh, we have to have you do this uh, seated and you were expecting to do it standing and all kinds of uh, new things come up on the day that you can find disappointing and challenging and I thought it was going to go this way and, oh, no, uh, they're not going to do those, those lines that I like so much. And you can get into a uh, bad frame of mind. I try to tell people, don't think it that way because you're just going to exhaust this uh, resource in yourself mm-hmm. that you're going to want to use. Because that resource for willpower is really important for creative adaptation, which you have to do. So when they tell you, oh, you have to go to the window at this moment, you're going to go, why the hell would I go to the window? <laughs> well, it's because the director... The director's going for an effect. He wants the light to shine across your face with the rain or whatever, but it makes no sense for your character to go to the window uh, at, uh, immediately. So you have to come up with some, some creative reason why you'd go to the window. And that creativity, we know, is uh, part of this, this uh, resource, is that it, if it's exhausted, uh, you will not be as available to think of three or four different ways that you could get around this problem that is being presented to you on the day. Another thing that's really huge is ego depletion also is, uh, what we were just talking about earlier, empathy depletion. So if we have you sit next to that bowl of chocolate chip cookies and you can't eat them, and then they test you, you know, how do you feel about this little girl having lost her kitten or whatever, uh, you'll feel less empathetic for them because Mm -hmm. you're already using that resource up, not eating the cookies or having done these uh, strenuous puzzles that they have you do. Or another one that is, um, for some people, If you tend towards introversion, uh, being social, uh, putting on the social mask also uh, exhausts this. So there's a reason why people, athletes, let's say, or actors, develop rituals, which I encourage. So, you know, so you're not trying to make decisions, which also exert that willpower. So, you know, I know what I'm eating the breakfast. I know what I have all my costume laid out. I'm not going to. So anything that you do that you can do to clear the decks of having to make new decisions, and have uh, special stresses on you, uh, you try to avoid because, again, you're going to use up that resource just like you'd be using up um, muscle strength if you're going to require, you know, rock climbing or something like that you're going to have to do that day. It wouldn't be the day to do a lot of heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, you're just, I guess actors would be prone to that emotional exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and those days can go long in a set, you know. Uh-huh. Those days can be uh, low-budget movies. You can do it, easily do 14, 18-hour days. And if you're hanging around trying to make friends and being social, uh, you're burning yourself up. And when they get to that last shot of the day, there you are, and they're not going to run a little notification at the bottom of the film. Please excuse this actor's <laughs> poor performance. Uh, <laughs> this shot was shot at the end of the day after he'd used himself up being friendly with everybody. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in, it's the same thing that uh, they know in addiction. Uh, what's it called? Halt. Uh, don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, because those things will exhaust your uh, ability to deny that gratification. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was very, very interesting. I never saw that applied to acting before. It was really cool. <laughs> That's also yeah, so a really it, good thing to have applied to life. To well, know. yeah, yeah life maybe general. so, huh? <laughs> So acting, you know, you're a life coach as well as an acting coach. Well, not directly, but yes, I do, I do indeed believe that they are uh, very interrelated. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try to have a sunshiny outlook, um, you know, to be grateful 
to see it as an adventure. And I think these are good, uh, probably, from what we know about life. It lowers the stress hormones, increases your immune system strength, you know, and all this stuff to have more of a, a positive point of view. And it doesn't come naturally to me. I come from a very cynical uh, background. I come from a long line of depressed cynics. Uh, but I, I, I have one of my, uh, you know, I have three books, and one of my books is a quotation book called 2,500 Years of Wisdom. And people ask me what my favorite quote is. And I said, one that really is good for me, particularly, is even if the pessimist is right in the end, the optimist has a better time on the trip. Oh, it's a good one. So who's really so smart? Uh, the guy who's figured out that we're all doomed and this is meaningless, or the guy who is trying to have some laughs on the way? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the book, you have a divine section. you got 32 principles of acting on camera. You have a section called On the Day. Mm -hmm. You have uh, a number of interviews. Yeah. Yes. So who's some of those interviews? Well, uh, the great Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright John Packer Shanley which I'm honored to call a friend, uh, won the Pulitzer for uh, the play Doubt. And he also, uh, which he wrote in, and uh, directed the uh, screenplay yeah. uh, for the movie with Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. He's in it. He's so inspired. Jerry Zucker, who's the director of the Ghost and uh, Airplane, the classic. Um, Peter Bogdanovich, another uh, giant in uh, film history for the work he's done. Uh, Catherine Hardwick, a uh, woman who directed uh, Twilight and a oh. um, lovely person. I directed uh, Fast and Furious is really some great insights he has. So he's very cool people. Some of them I taught myself acting or, or uh, spoke to them about act, teaching, uh, directing actors. And some came through uh, acquaintances. So I didn't know Peter directly. Peter came to me through a student who was uh, a friend of his. Mm -hmm. And you focus primarily on the questions about, like, you know, actual useful information rather than bio, background information. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. what was the, of all those answers you got, what was one of the more surprising things you heard? Um, I, well, you know, John Patrick Stanley said something that was surprising to me, and I even put it into my uh, manifesto. In the book, I put an actor's manifesto. Mm -hmm. And uh, it came uh, out of the thing that, uh, that John had said that I thought was so cool is that he said that a, 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 a film performance should have a secret that in the stage, you may be like really projecting everything out there. But when you were in a, uh, um, a film performance, mm -hmm. it's cool to feel that you're not necessarily getting everything. How I put it in my, I, I'll, I'll read it right out of my, uh, my actor manifesto. Well, I'll start from here. It goes all the while you're applying your maximum level of concentration to what's taking place within the imaginative sphere. Permit another aspect of your nature to be conscious of your audience as an open-hearted fellow traveler being led by you into the beautiful and terrible unknown world of the play. Accept the responsibility of being this sacrificial tour guide, knowing that not only will the audience perceive the journey differently than you, but aspects of your experience should properly be kept private from them. Hmm. This idea that, you know, I, I was saying, you know, that you – play moments truthfully, and you can't tell what uh, an audience is. Uh, you can't dictate to them what the audience's experience should be. All you can do is, like, really immerse yourself and lay into it, carve your way into that imaginative uh, world, like, like I say, like a tour guide. But I can't say what your experience of, you know, Machu Picchu is going to be like or the, uh, the Great Pyramids. That's, that's your business, and I can't and – I, and I probably shouldn't 
expect you to really understand what my experience is. And that's sort of the magic of film. And so I'll even tell my students, uh, I'll say, have a secret in the scene. Have a secret that if you were to say it during the scene to the other character, it would blow up the relationship. So you're doing a scene with your husband. Imagine any moment you could tell him, you know, when you were away on business, I had an affair with a pool man, you know, <laughs> and, and you could just have, should I tell him that? He's being so difficult. He's being such an ass right now. Mm. I could just lay him out if I were to drop this bomb on him. So it's like a secret uh, about your character's inner world. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Something if you, that your character has as a secret from the other character. And if they were to say it, and the audience will never know. But if you were to say it, and you can imagine, would this be the time to say it? Uh, it would just completely change everything. Hmm. I like that. So I got that from John. I loved what uh, Rob Cohen said, too. He says actors can be very disappointed when they go and they see the cut. Uh, they go to see the movie that they made because they, they see all their stuff cut out. He says, because you're going to be on a set, and you're going to be doing a scene with Scarlett Johansson, and it's going to feel like it's 50-50. They shoot her, they shoot you, but don't kid yourself. It is her story, and they're only using you as a way of serving her. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing stuff that is extraneous, they're going to cut that out of the movie. you got to have a very clear understanding that your part is to serve the lead character. Mm. So if you're twiddling around with your pen or you've got this funny idea to do something uh, that takes away from that, you're going to be very disappointed when you go to the movie. So your best, your best bet would be to understand, I'm the rhythm guitarist. I'm Ringo. I am supposed to back these people up. I'm not supposed to dazzle in my own right. And in doing so, you increase your chances of getting a better edit of yourself and having less of it just, if you be crass, taken out of the movie. Um, yeah, because otherwise you're also, distracting, not adding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you got to know what you're just like an you got to know like an athlete. What's my what's my role on this team? How can I best serve this team by blocking or or you know blocking shots or rebounding or my point guard? What am I here really to do? Why am I in the story? That's great. And it's like again like all again all these things go back to life. It's it's in the giving that we receive. You find out that the real trick is that and again what we know from brain science is that happier people are the people who give away the gift rather than accept it. And so you ultimately, it's a selfish act. Uh, you're going to come out better in the movie. You're going to have a better time <laughs> if you're less concerned about how much you're getting rather than how much you can give mm. to this project. I like that. Yeah, and again, it's, it's like in life. And then also with the secret is that I, I can see how that would make it a more true and honest performance because in real life, Everybody does have things that they keep to themselves about themselves, yep. about their secret world, about what their secret desires or thoughts or, or if you really told someone what you really thought, <laughs> but you don't, you know, and, and so that is in the background and, and having your character on screen have that makes it seem like a more real person. Yep. And gives you that dyna dynamic in, in your eyes in the close up. Hmm. And That's then, so cool. <laughs> so, I learned all kinds of things. Yeah, and then you have that in the sections. You have that actor's manifesto uh, that you mentioned earlier. And you have a glossary too, of film terms. And I, yeah. And I, went, yeah. and I went to film school, and I um, and I've worked on various films and stuff, so I've heard a lot of them. 
But there were a few I didn't hadn't heard before, especially some of the more uh, actor-focused ones. What's a interesting one that you really like that a lot of people haven't heard before? Oh gosh, um, leave room for the scissors. I like you know because that's practical too. Mm-hmm. Have a, an appreciation of uh, uh, the editor's job. So you walk into a room or you get into an automobile, give a little pause there so that they can cut to the other person registering your arrival. Because if you're like talking as you're sitting down or talking as you walk into the room, mm. they're going to cut to them. They're gonna, it's going to make for a little bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's um, leave room for the scissors. Uh, I like that one. Yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, I understand that concept. I never heard that term before used for it. Yeah. And of course, I just, I just, lo- I just love that expression on the day too. Which is why I named that whole central treatise on that. Oh yeah. Uh, that because it doesn't literally mean. You know, I can say it about something that's going to be happening two hours from now. I can say we we won't know till on the day, uh, mm-hmm. meaning when it's when it's actually happening. Because there's all there's one thing having the plan. You know, Customato, the great boxing coach, said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> uh, so you you're gonna or the best laid plans of mice and men yeah. off to go awry. You know, so you can have all the best plans, but wow. Uh, they things can really get wild and sideways on you. That's what it's all about. Can you adjust? Can you make it happen? Can you? In my first book, I say this. I I, I love this uh, from uh, the movie The Hustler with Paul Newman. He defines greatness in that movie. He says a guy can be great if he knows what he's doing and he can make it come off. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's one thing knowing what you're doing, but it's also can you make it come off? Yeah. On the day when it really, you know, when it's really. Like in and the sports they call money players, mm-hmm. that they step up when it's on the line. I really enjoyed the book and um, yeah. encourage anybody who's who's uh, doing acting to definitely check it out. They can but, definitely learn a lot from you and your wife. Yes. Yes. Um, so where can people find you and your work online? Well, you could I suppose if you searched uh, D.W. Brown, it would kick up, but uh, Baron Brown. Dot com is uh, our studio in Santa Monica, the John Barron D. Devin Brown Studio, or now we call ourselves Baron Brown. <laughs> and uh, so you can find us there, Facebook profile and all. And your book is currently out on Amazon and all those good books. Yeah, so I got three books on Amazon. My first acting book is called You Can Act, and then this is the the uh, add-on to that, You Can Act on Camera. Mm-hmm. And then, as I say, I have another book called 2,500 Years of Wisdom, which is a compilation of uh, quotations. It's been great speaking with you. Um, My pleasure, guys. Hi, this is Monica Leonel from ProsOnFire.com, and I'm the author of Write Better Faster, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to DW for taking the time to chat with us. We struggled with some unusual technical difficulties with recording his interview, and he was a real trooper working with us through them. I suppose it is fitting to have some glitches on episode 113. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so be sure to check out the show notes for the links mentioned in the interview. Before we go, we want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by following our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our website at genretainment.com, or you can follow all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until Until next next time.
Pan Monkey.